Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Grenka, 100% your finance partner for fast, accessible cash flow solutions. Get back to business with Grenka. Get the latest equipment you need and keep your cash where you need it in your business through leasing and invoice finance. We make credit decisions in 20 minutes and can pay your supplier or fund your chosen invoices within 24 hours of completion. We finance 100% of the asset, no deposits needed, and you can lease equipment from as little as 500 euro upwards. Grenka, your finance partner for fast, efficient leasing and invoice finance options. That's G-R-E-N-K-E. about to say everybody wants to be a cat no that is my other podcast welcome to murder in the land of oz i'm jess and we are your hosts we're up to our fourth season fourth yay yay yes we're in yes, tasmania. Tasmania, tasmania the which coldest is where, state which is where ellen lives yes i'm very for now <laughs> for now <laughs> one day we will all live in heaven so, yes, this is only my temporary home. <laughs> Jess is full-blown cacking it. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. So it's my turn and I decide – well, do we have any housekeeping? No. Um, first, well, actually, become a Patreon. Yes, please do. We just posted some fun, zazzy, interesting Patreon content zazzy that you could the listen right to. Word. It was a friendship quiz, so if you want to get to know Ellen and I more, you can subscribe to our Patreon and We also do find true crime stuff. stuff there as well, not just yeah. silly things. I should also share, we do have merch on Public. We are getting some new shirts made with some funny, zany slogans. So if there's anything that we've said in Mitlu that you think is funny, you should email us at murderintheLandofOz at gmail.com and let us know. So yeah. far we've got um, The Devil's Avocado, uh, What a Bunch of Noodles... Sorry, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm going to buy one of those busy ones and just like ceremoniously like put it on fire. <laughs> Ouch. No, I won't. I love busy. Um, and it's funny because I came up with busy in the back of an Uber because I was too drunk to spell busy when I was mad about a binman. A binman. Um, and, and then the last one that we have is ghost research. It's not peer-reviewed, which is possibly my favourite thing that Ellen has ever said on this podcast. It's not peer-reviewed, but it could be. I'm willing to be. be your ghost editor. Please email my personal email address if you have any ghost research you'd like to <laughs> me to look at. Uh, I will look at it. Stunning. So uh, it's my turn tonight. Uh, for someone who's never been to Tasmania, mm. this will be interesting. 
Um, I decided I went deep and dark, mates, like deep and bloody fucking dark. We went full um, espresso, espresso. Full espresso, espresso. Oh my god. Um, and I am going to be talking to you about the Port Arthur massacre because the world isn't depressing enough. We just thought we'd make it a little bit worse by reminding everybody of one of the darkest times in Australian history. Uh huh. But also one of the most interesting in reflection on what happened with Port Arthur of how mm-hmm. our government and laws changed. One of the only efficient good things the Australian government has ever done. Yeah. And it's also, I'm quite proud of what they did, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Mm. Um, okay. So let's tell you a little bit about, bit about Port Arthur because before the massacre, it was also uh, quite, the tu- it still is quite the tourist destination, but it wasn't known for a massacre beforehand. Um, so Port Arthur was a penal set- settlement that began his life as a timber station in 1830 and quickly grew in importance within the colonies. Uh, shipbuilding was introduced uh, to a larger scale to Port Arthur as a way of providing selected convicts with a useful skill that could take with that they could take with them once they were freed. So basically when they stopped being a convict, they had a trade. Uh, in eight, the 1853, the cessation of transportation resulted in fewer transportees arriving at the station. But between 1850 and 1860, uh, there were uh, years of remarkable activity that aimed to make the station economically sustainable. Uh, so the Port Arthur story didn't end with the removal of the last convict. Almost immediately, the site was renamed Carnav- Carnavon. And during Carnarvon? the 18... 18- Carnavon. Can I, can, what did I say? Carnivon. 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 That goes to show that I've never been to Tasmania. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. You just Carnivon. That kind of sounds better. Um, during the 1880s, the land was parceled up and put to auction. People uh, that were taking up residence on the old site. Uh, so Port Arthur Historic Site is a large site holding many great stories. Places like the penitentiary, which was originally constructed as a flour mill in 1843, before it housed hundreds of convicts in dormitories and solitary cells or um, the much-feared separate prison where there was, like, harsh physical punishment um, and punishment of the mind. Yuck. Also mad ghosts. (laughs) Please listen to our ghost episode if you want to hear more about the ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts because otherwise I would never sleep again, but you should go and listen to that episode because it's really fucking funny. Ellen did such a good job. Also, I believe in ghosts. All right, so we're going to jump forward to the 7th of May, 1967, when Martin Bryant was born at the Queen Alexandria Hospital in Hobart, Tasmania. He was the first son to Maurice and Carlene Bryant. Uh, The family home was in uh, Lena Valley in Tasmania, but Bryant spent much of his childhood at the beach home in Carnarvon Bay. Uh, in an interview in 2011, his mum recalls that while he was very young, she would often find Martin's toys broken and said he was annoying and different. <laughs> that's, Rough. That's a good way to think of your child, isn't it? Um, yeah, a psychologist's view was that he would never hold down a job and would aggravate people to such an extent he would always be in trouble. Ooh. There is a beeping noise. Goodbye. Brisbane Valley, you are so noisy. I'm in my mouth. Um, oh, sorry, Ellen. <laughs> I 
got you there. Um, Other sort of like reports on Bryant from when he was a kid was that he pulled a snorkel from another boy while they were diving and once cut down trees on a neighbor's property. Oh, no. (laughs) That's, oh, God. Uh, He was described by teachers as being distant from reality and unemotional. Same. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, At school, he was disruptive and violent. um, And he also suffered from severe bullying by other children. Same. Yeah, same. Uh, He was suspended from Newtown Primary School in 1977. A psychological assessment of him noted of his torturing of animals. Oh, that's such a red flag. Um, He returned to school the following year and his behaviour had improved, but um, he started teasing younger children. He was transferred to a special education school in 1980 where he deteriorated both academically and in behaviour throughout his remaining school years. As an adolescent, he continued to be disturbed and um, outlined the possibility of him actually having an intellectual disability. He uh, was revealed to be borderline mentally disabled with an IQ of 66, equivalent to that of an 11-year-old. Further testing following his arrest, spoiler alert, he was arrested, what? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Wait, are you telling me this man committed a crime? Yeah. This person who tortured animals as a child grew up to be a criminal? Yeah. I'm so shocked. Whoa, right? Twists and turns uh, in this episode. So following his arrest, it indicated a verbal IQ of 64 and a nonverbal reasoning and cognitive functioning of 68, giving him a full scale of 66. Uh, When leaving school in 1983, Bryant was assessed for a disability pension by a psychiatrist who wrote that he cannot read or write, does a bit of gardening and watches TV, Um, could be schizophrenic and parents face a bleak future with him. So he received a disability pension. Yeah. But he also worked as a handyman and a gardener. So, 87. Enter Helen Mary Elizabeth Harvey. She was an heiress to the Tattersall's lottery fortune. Um, so she was. Uh, so Bryant was looking for new customers for his lawn mowing services, and he. Uh, so Helen was living with her mother Hilza. Hilza, what an interesting name. Uh, the Hilza so, alive with the sound of music. Well, hopefully, I hope the Hilza alive with the sound of music. We'll see. <laughs> You so, were not um, remotely laughing at that joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you I'm did the dead serious dead opposite about of what laughing. the hell is happening tomorrow night. Um, so Bryant became friends with Helen um, and he frequently neglected. She had this massive mansion uh, in Newtown, uh, which was dilapidated. Like think Grey Gardens. Mm. So a lot of money. Well, not that. Grey Gardens had a lot of money, but they did at one point have a lot of money and then the house became dilapidated. Dilapidated uh, tracks with what I know of Newtown. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's it like? Tell me. Um, It's like like housing estate E, you know, um, like lots of like, um, I would equate it to like Caboolture or Morayfield or something like that. I'm also obsessed with how you just said the word Caboolture. 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 <laughs> I love Caboolture. it. Caboolture. Everybody knows um, that I'm the bogan. <laughs> So uh, Bryant's, as well as like being a handyman and a gardener, he assisted in feeding the 14 dogs that were living in the house and the 40 cats 
Oh, love this story. Living inside her garage. What a nightmare. I love cats, but I don't love 40 cats in one garage. That sounds <laughs> fucked. Um, 10 out of 10 would not pat. So in June 1990, someone reported uh, Helen Harvey to the health authorities and medics found both Harvey and her mother in need of urgent hospital treatment. Um, the uh, Helen's mother, Hilza Harvey, died several weeks later after this report. So they were ordered to clean up the mansion. So Martin Bryant's father, uh, Maurice, helped in the cleanup, taking long service leave off. Uh, this is when Helen Harvey invited Martin Bryant to live with her in the mansion and they began spending large amounts of money. I have such yucky feelings about this. This reminds I mean, me of Sunset Boulevard but not fancy. Yeah. It's very Norma Desmond sort of vibes, isn't it? Mm. Um So uh, they started spending a lot of money, which included a purchase of 30 cars in less than three years. I mean, one car's enough. If I could buy 30 cars, I probably would. But also I would want somebody to check and make sure that I was okay because it's crazy. Yeah, that's busy. Uh, I'm not Kylie Jenner. That's tizzy, in fact, you know. It's very Um, tizzy. It's very very tizzy. very tizzy. Teasy. So Helen and Martin Bryant began spending most of the day shopping um, after, and they'd have lunch at a local restaurant. Um, so Martin Bryant was then reassessed for, as his, for his pension because he was on a disability pension. Um, and it was noted, his father protects him from any occasion which might upset him as he continually threatens violence. Martin tells me he would like to go around shooting people. It would be unsafe to allow Martin out of his parents' control. Reddest of red flags. Um, So in 91, as a result of not being allowed to have animals at the house anymore, uh, Helen and Martin moved to a 29-hectare or 72-acre farm called Torresville that she'd purchased. Um, Neighbours recalled that Martin Bryant was always carrying around an air gun and often fired it at tourists tourists if they stopped to buy apples Mm. so people avoided him at all costs i wonder why yeah so i guess uh, all right so 20th of october 1992 helen was killed in a car accident she had veered to the wrong side of the road and hit an oncoming car directly and martin brian was actually in the vehicle at the time of the accident and was hospitalized for seven months with severe neck and back injuries he was briefly investigated by police as it, as to maybe he played a role in the accident uh, because he was known he had a known habit of lunging for the steering wheel and um, Helen Are you had actually kidding had me? Helen had had three it's like had three accidents previously because of Martin doing that what so and she told people bef- like she told people that she never drove over sixty kilometers an hour so. Uh, Suspiciously, Martin Bryant was named as sole beneficiary of Helen's will and came into possession of assets totaling at more than $550,000. Martin, obviously, with his low IQ and... Big issues. Yeah, big issues and a less than good sense of reality. um, He didn't have any idea about financial matters, so his mother, uh, Carleen, applied for guardianship over the assets and management uh, um, under the public trustees. And, yeah, this was 
due to his diminished intellectual capacity. Mm. So after Harvey's death, after Helen's death, uh, Maurice Bryant's father, Martin Bryant's father, uh, looked after the farm where Helen and Martin had moved to. Um, but then Martin returned to the family home to convalesce after the uh, after being in hospital from the accident. Mm-hmm. Um, his father at this time had been prescribed antidepressants and had discreetly transferred um, his bank account and all the utilities into his wife's name. Yucky, 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 right? Okay, cool. That seems suspicious. Two months later, 14th of August, 1993, I would have been just just over two months old. I would have Uh, been just under one month old. (laughs) A two months later, a visitor looking for Maurice at the copping property found a note saying, "Called the police that was pinned to the door and found several thousands of dollars in the car. Um, so the officers saw no reason for criminal intent and sent council members and police to, you know, quell the stress and put forward Sorry. letters to local... They saw no reason for the, there was a note on the door saying call the police and they were like no no, no doesn't they seem mean that like serious. that that means that means that they know like they didn't think it was a murder oh okay okay um so then police searched the property with and they couldn't find Maurice everywhere and then they um, sent divers into the dam like because there was four dams on the property mm. and so two days later on the sixteenth of August Maurice's body was found in the dam closest to the farmhouse. Um, with one of the diving belts around his neck. So uh, obviously the death was unnatural and it was ruled a suicide. Um, So It was ruled a suicide when it said, call the police on the door. There was a note saying, call the police. Yeah, that Martin's dad wrote, as in, go and find my body. Mm, No. What? what? That was a suicide note. Why did he kill himself? Because we're going to get to that. Okay, all right, I'm still We're suspicious. Gonna get to that. I'm still very suspicious. So Martin then inherited proceeds of his dad's superannuation fund, which was valued at $250,000. So then Martin sold Copping Farm for 143 grand and but kept the Hobart mansion. Uh, while uh, living at Copping, the farm, uh, the white overalls he habitually wore were replaced with clothing more in line with Harvey's financial stat with Helen's financial status. But now that he was alone, his dress became more bizarre. He often wore a grey linen suit, a cravat, linen lizard skin shoes, and a Panama hat, fancy. while carrying a briefcase. Very fancy. A briefcase Ugh. with just like chocolate wrappers in it. Um, he often wore an electric blue suit with flared trousers and a ruffled shirt to the restaurant he frequented. The restaurant owner recalled, it was horrible. Everyone was laughing at him, even the customers. I felt really felt suddenly quite sorry for him. I realized that this guy didn't really have any friends. Oh, I don't feel So with Helen and Martin's father now dead, he became increasingly lonely. From 93 to 95, he visited various overseas countries uh, about 14 times. Um, and it was funny and the, the, like, there's a document of his travel between that time. And that was, uh, that was like a three page document of all the places that he visited. And it was interesting. Um, I was watching this great, uh, YouTube series called Murder with Friends and they were, they discussed the Port Arthur, uh, massacre and we'll put it in the show notes because I think it's a really interesting discussion between two people about the massacre, especially coming from the perspective of Americans looking at 
this the reaction that there was after the massacre. Um, and apparently Martin Bryant would fly a lot and would also like go out to restaurants a lot and go shopping a lot because those were his forms of interaction because people had to interact with him. Mm. Like, you know, when like, yeah, I, I don't really understand this, but like people that like sit next to you on plane, some people feel compelled to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Or even just like you and I have both worked in customer service, people will come and talk to you and you can oh, tell yeah. that it's the oh, only God, social interaction that they that come have in that and day. they're like, oh, we have this one lady and every time she comes in, it's like a 40 minute conversation. Yeah. And because you have like human empathy, you're like, okay, of course I'm we the only back, friend cause... that this person has. And then yeah. on the other hand, you're like, lady, get a Dolph. cat. <laughs> so uh, in late 95, uh, Martin became suicidal and he'd had enough, in quotes. He stated, I just felt pe- more people were against me when I tried to be friendly towards them, they would walk away. He uh, previously had been a, been little more than a social drinker. His alcohol consumption increased, and although he had not consumed any alcohol on the day of the massacre, um, his consumption had really escalated like six months prior. Mm. Um, so his average daily consumption was estimated at half a bottle of Sambuca and a bottle of, of Bailey's Irish cream supplemented with port wine and sweet alcoholic drinks. Um, okay. So we're getting to the day. (sighs) Sorry, this makes me very, very upset. So the 28th of April, 1996, uh, Martin Bryant awoke at 6am by his alarm clock. Um, And this was unusual for Martin because, you know, he didn't have a job. He didn't have anywhere to be and he normally didn't set an alarm. He actually had a girlfriend at the time. How did this guy pull a girl? I, There's no, I couldn't find any mention of her really before this, but um, yeah, he had a girlfriend. Makes me a little depressed. Uh, so according to his girlfriend at 8am, Martin left the house. Oh no, uh, at 8am, she left the house to visit her parents. Um, Martin left the house and switched on the burger alarm, which was registered at 9.47am. Uh, he travelled to Fawcett, arriving sometime between, sometime around 11am uh, and he continued down to Port Arthur and was seen driving to Seascape. Now, Seascape is a was a bed and breakfast. And basically what had happened when Martin had inherited the money from Helen Harvey, his father wanted to uh, buy Seascape as an investment property. And there was this whole kerfuffle um, with the the selling of it. And basically Martin's father didn't get to buy Seascape and it is thought like that was the beginning of Martin's father's Maurice's suicide right right the the handling of it and whatever escalated his depression Mm -hmm. Um, makes sense so this so Seascape was owned by David and Nolene Martin and Martin Bryant described them as like heinous awful people I don't know I don't know um and so he arrived at Seascape at 11.45. Martin Bryant went inside and fired several shots, then gagged David Martin and stabbed him. Uh, Witnesses testify to different numbers of shots fired at this time. It was stated in court that it's believed that this was the time that Bryant killed the Martins, his first two victims. Uh, 
so a couple had actually stopped at Seascape and Martin Bryan had met them outside. And when they asked if they could have a look at the accommodation, like Martin was like really like rude to them and like made this excuse that his parents were away and that his girlfriend was inside and his demeanour was described as like really weird and the couple felt uncomfortable and they left at about 12.35 p.m. Mm -hmm. So then Martin drove to Port Arthur taking the keys to Seascape, the Seascape properties after locking the doors. Um, He stopped at a – he stopped the car and pulled over because of overheating and actually talked to two people there. He suggested that they come down to Port Arthur Cafe for a coffee later. So he travelled – yeah, right? Right. He travelled past the Port Arthur site and headed to uh, Palmer's Lookout Road property, which was owned by the Martins, and he came across uh, Roger Lana and Roger had met Martin about 15 years previous – um, Martin had told uh, Roger Lana that he'd been surfing and had bought a property called Fog Lodge and was now looking to buy some cattle. Um, Bryant also made several comments about buying uh, another property next door that was owned by um, Nolene and David, who he had. They're, they're still uns- like they're they're unsure of like when the Martins were actually killed, like whether or not they were gagged and held, and then because he eventually goes back to Seascape. But it's thought that they were killed in, like At before the, the initially, yeah, yeah. Um, so then, around one ten, uh, Martin enters the toll booth at the entrance of Port Arthur. He paid the entry fee and proceeded to park near the Broad Arrow Cafe, which is near the water's edge. The security manager told him to park with the other cars because the area was reserved. There was an area reserved for camper vans and the car park was going to be very, very busy that day. Um, So Bryant Martin like moved his car to another area and sat in his car for a few minutes. He then um, moved his car again back back near the water outside the cafe and the security manager saw him again and he was – this time he was carrying like a large sport bag and a video camera. Um, Martin then went into the cafe, purchased a meal, which he ate on the deck outside – um, he attempted to start conversations with people um, and basically was remarking that there weren't a lot of white people around and that there wasn't as many Japanese tourists around as normal. Um, oh. He appeared nervous and was quite regularly like looking back to the car park and looking inside to the cafe. So Martin then finished his meal. He walked into the cafe to return his tray, assisted by um, some people that actually opened the door for him. He then put his bag down on the table and pulled out his AR-15 carbine gun and within a scope, um, so then, and a, a, like a 30-round magazine, which is a bunch of bullets. Um, the bag also contained other things like a knife that um, Martin had used to stab David Martin. Um so the cafe was really, really small and the tables were really close together and it was really, really busy that day um, because there were a lot of people that were waiting to get on the ferry. Mm-hmm. So um, what happened next is really, 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 really... Um, what happened next is basically it happened really quickly. So he took aim from his hip and pointed the rifle at Mo Yi and um, Sing... Uh, uh, and then William Su Ling and William and Su Ling Chung, who were visiting from Malaysia, and they were actually seated at the table beside Martin Bryant. He shot them at close range, killing both of them instantly. 
Brian then fired a shot at Mick Sargent, grazing his scalp and knocking him to the floor. He fired a fourth shot that killed Sargent's girlfriend, 21-year-old Kate Elizabeth Scott, and hit, which uh, hit her at the back of the head. Um, 28-year-old New Zealand winemaker Jason Winter had been uh, helping in the cafe um, as Brian turned to Winter's wife, Joanne, and their 15-month-old son, Mitchell. Winter threw a serving tray at Martin in an attempt to distract him. Um, Joanne Winter's father pushed his daughter and grandson to the floor and put them on, and pushed them under the table. Um, 44-year-old Anthony Nightingale stood up after the sound of the first shots but had no time to move. Um, Nightingale yelled, no, not here, as Martin pointed the weapon at, his weapon at him. As Nightingale leaned forward, he was fatally shot through the neck and the spine. Um, the next table held a group of 10 friends. I'm so sorry, this is just going to... This is a lot. <laughs> This is a lot. Um, held a group of 10 friends, but um, some had just left the table to return their meal trays and visit the gift shop. Bryant fired one shot that killed Kevin Winst- uh, Vincent Sharp, who was 68. The second hit Walter Bennett, who was 66, which passed through his body and struck Raymond John Sharp, 67, Kevin Sharp's brother, and killed both of them. The three had their backs towards Bryant and were unaware of what was happening. They at first believed someone was letting off a firecracker. One of them actually made a comment, that's not funny, after hearing the first few shots, not realising that they were real. Oh, my God. All the shots were close range. With a gun that was inches away from the back of their heads, uh, Gerald Broom, Gay Fiddler and her husband, John, were all struck by bullet fragments, but they all survived. Uh, Martin then turned towards Tony and Sarah Kiston and Andrew Mills. Both of the men stood up at the noise of the initial shots but had no time to move away. Andrew Mills was shot in the head. Tony Kiston was also shot from about two metres away, also in the head, but had managed to push his wife away prior to being shot. Sarah um, Kiston was apparently not seen by Bryant and she was under the table by that time. Uh, Thelma Walker and Pamela Law were injured by fragments before before being dragged to the ground by their friend Peter Crosswell as the three sheltered underneath a table. Also, in, he was also um, also injured by fragments at this time was Patricia Baker. So um, because this was an automatic rifle, like this is described in, as happening between 90 and 120 seconds. Like that is how quick. What? Yeah, that is how quick it happens because of... Um, how quick that the gun can work. Yeah. Um, so it was only after this that the majority of people began to realise what was happening and that the shots weren't coming from a reenactment because people thought it was, like, to do with the show, Mm -hmm. the sound of it. Um, there was a lot of confusion and people didn't know what to do, obviously, and, um, Bryant was actually standing at the main exit. So Martin Bryant then moved a few metres and began shooting at a table where Graham Collier and Carolyn Lawton and their, and um, Carolyn's daughter Sarah were seated. Collier was severely injured in the jaw, nearly choking to death on his own blood. Sarah Lawton ran towards her mother who had been moving between tables. Carolyn Lawton threw herself on top of her daughter. Bryant shot through Carolyn in the back. Her eardrum was ruptured by the muzzle blast from the, gar- from the gun going off beside her ear. She actually survived her injuries but learned after surgery that despite her efforts to save her daughter, her daughter had been fatally shot in the head. I'm so sorry. Oh, Why the no. fuck did I pick this? Why the fuck did I pick oh, this? Oh, no. I'm so sorry. That's bad. Bryant then pivoted around and shot at Mervyn Howard, who was seated. 
The bullet passed through him through a window of the cafe and hit a table on the outside balcony. Martin Bryant quickly followed up with a shot to the neck of Mervyn Howard's wife, Mary Howard. Martin Bryant leaned over a vacant baby stroller and pointed the gun at her head and shot her a second time. Uh, so Mervyn and Mary Howard both died of their injuries because they, yeah. Uh, Martin Bryant was near the exit, preventing others from attempting to run past him and escape. Martin moved across the cafe towards the gift shop area. Um, there was an exit door through the display area to move to the outside balcony, but it was locked up and couldn't be opened with a key. As Martin moved, Robert Elliott stood up. He was shot in the arm and head, left slumping against the fireplace, but he was alive. So, yeah, all of these events from the first... No, I fibbed. So, from the first events of those, the Malaysian couple uh, to the 12 people who were killed and 10 more wounded, that was between 15 and 30 seconds. No, my brain can't handle that. My brain can't yep. make that work. Okay. So he's leaving the cafe and he moved towards the gift shop area. I want to preface that this timeline I've gotten from Wikipedia, there was a really detailed timeline on Wikipedia of Martin Bryant's movement, so this is where I've gotten this from. Um, it's not that unreputable. Martin, we can use Wikipedia. <laughs> no, 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 but I just wanted to preface, like, I, you know, that's, this is where I got it from. Um, so Martin then moved to the gift area, um, giving many people time to hide under tables or behind shop, dis- shop, dis- shop displays. He fatally shot the two local women who worked in the gift shop, 17-year-old Nicole, Nicole Burgess in the head and 26-year-old Elizabeth Howard in the arm and the chest. Coralie Lever and Vera J. Jari had hid behind the Hessian um, screen with other people um, Coralie's husband, Dennis, was fatally shot in the head. Uh, Pauline Masters, uh, Vera, J- Vera Jarry's husband, Ron Jarry, Peter and Carolyn Nash had attempted to escape through the locked door but couldn't. Peter Nash lay down on top of his wife to hide her from Martin Bryant. Bryant moved into the gift shop area where several people were trapped with nowhere to go and people were crouched in corners just doing whatever they could to keep themselves hidden. Uh, Gwen Neander uh, tried to make it to the door, but she was shot in the head and killed. Uh, Martin Bryant then saw movement in the cafe and moved near the front door. He shot at a table and hit Peter Crosswell, who I mentioned before, who was hiding under the, under it. And um, Jason Winter was hiding in the gift shop, thought that um, Bryant had left and made a comment about, you know, um, and made a comment basically to the people around him, like, don't move out in the open. Martin Bryant saw him. Uh, Winters stated, Jason Winters said, no, no, just prior to being shot um, with a bullet hitting him in his neck, hand and chest. A second shot to the head proved fatal to Jason Winter. Oh, no. Fragments from these shots struck American tourist Dennis Olsen, who had been hiding with his wife Mary and Jason Winter. Dennis Olsen suffered fragment injuries to his hand, scalp, eye and chest, but he survived. Um, It's not clear what happened next um though at some point martin reloaded his weapon uh he walked back to the cafe and then returned to the gift shop this time looking down to another corner of the shop where he found several people hiding he walked up to them and shot ronald jarry through the neck then peter nash and pauline masters killing all three of them he didn't see carolyn nash who was lying under her husband bryant aimed his gun at an unidentified um, man, but the rifle's magazine was empty. Bryant quickly then moved to the gift shop counter where he reloaded his rifle, leaving an empty magazine on the counter and left the building. So at count 
Bryant has killed 22 people and injured 12. Fucking hell. Okay. So during the cafe shooting, some of the staff members had been able to escape through the kitchen and alerted people outside. There were a number of coaches outside with lines of people. Um, Many of them began to hide in the buses or in nearby buildings. Um, Other people didn't really understand or they were unsure where to go because they still thought that there was some sort of historical reenactment happening on, like happening. And because this was happening in such a short... Short span of time. ...amount of time, like it's very easy to understand why people were confused. And um, so Ashley John Law, um, who was a site employee, uh, was moving people away from the cafe and into an information centre when... Um, Martin fired at him from uh, 50 to 100, like between 50 and 100 metres away. Um, so um, luckily, uh, Ashley Law, uh, the, they missed, like he, the bullets missed them at this point and they hit some trees nearby. Um, then Martin moved towards the coaches. Uh, one of the coach drivers, Royce Thompson, was shot in the back as he was moving Along the passenger side of the coach, he fell to the ground but was able to crawl and then roll under the bus to safety, but he later passed away of his wounds. Um, Bridget Cook, who was uh, trying to guide a number of people down between the buses and along the jetty area, um, Martin Bryant then moved to the front of this bus and walked across to the next coach. Um, people had begun to quickly move from the coach towards the back end and in, attempt, in an attempt to seek cover. Uh, Martin Bryant walked around and he saw a number of people scrambling to hide and he shot at them. Bridget Cook was shot in the right thigh, causing the bone to fragment the bullet lodging in her leg. Um, the coach driver, Ian McCule, Ian McCulley, sorry, Ian McCulley, was hit by fragments of Miss um, Cook's bone, um, but both were able to survive oh, no. and escape. So Martin Bryant then quickly moved um, around to another coach and f- uh, began firing at another group of people. Winifred Applin uh, was running to get cover behind one of the coaches and was fatally shot in the side. Another bullet grazed Yvonne Lockley's cheek, but she was able to enter one of the coaches and hide and survived. Uh, people then began moving uh, moving away from the car park towards the jetty, but someone shouted that Martin was heading that way, so they tried to double back around the coaches to where Bridget Cook had been shot. Um, But, of course, Martin Bryant doubled back to where uh, Janet and Neville Quinn, who actually owned the wildlife park, who who owned a wildlife park on the east side of Tasmania, and uh, they were beginning to move towards Mason Cove and away from the buses. Martin Bryant shot Janet Quinn in the back where she fell, unable to move near Royce Thompson. Bryant then continued along the car park as people tried to escape along the shore. Doug Hutchinson was attempting to get into the coach where he was shot in the arm. He quickly ran around to the front of the coach and along the shore um, to the jetty and he hid there. Uh, Martin Bryant then went to his vehicle, which was just past the coaches and changed weapons to a self-loading rifle. He fired at Denise Cromer, who was near the penitentiary ruins. Um, Gravel actually flew up in front of her as the bullets hit the ground. Bryant then got in his car and sat there for a few minutes before getting out again and going back to the coaches. Some people were taking cover behind cars in the car park, but because of the elevation, Bryant could see them and the cars didn't prove, uh, provide much cover. When they realised that Martin Bryant had seen them, they ran into the bush. He fired several shots. At least one hit a tree, which someone was taking to, which someone was taking cover behind, but no one was hit. Um... Martin Bryant then moved back to the buses where Janet Quinn lay injured from her earlier shot. 
Bryant then shot her in the back, then left. She later died from her wounds. Oh, fuck. Bryant then went onto one of the coaches and fired and shot uh, at Elva Gaylard, who was hiding inside, hitting her in the arm and chest and killing her. At an adjacent coach, Gordon Francis saw what happened and moved to the aisle to try and shut the door of the coach he was on. He was seen by Martin Bryant and was shot from the opposite coach. He survived but needed four major operations. Neville Quinn, uh, husband of Janet Quinn, who um, died, was shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, had escaped to the jetty area but returned to look for his wife. Oh. He had been forced to leave her earlier after Martin Bryant had shot her. Bryant then exited the coach and spotting Quinn chased him around the coaches. Bryant fired at him at least twice before Quinn ran onto a coach. Bryant entered, Bryant, Martin Bryant entered the coach and pointed the gun at Neville Quinn's face saying, no one gets away from me. Mr. Quinn ducked when he realised Martin Bryant was about to pull the trigger. The bullet missed his head but hit his neck, momentarily paralysing him. After Bryant left, Quinn managed to find his wife, although she later died in his arms. Oh, Neville Quinn was eventually Neville Quinn was eventually taken away by helicopter and survived. Bryant fired at James Belasco, a U.S. citizen, hitting a nearby car. Belasco had been attempting to film the shooter. Many people unable to use their parked cars were hiding or running along the jetty road and didn't know where Bryant was because the gunfire was extremely loud and difficult to pinpoint. So at this point, he's killed twenty six people and he's injured eighteen. Please tell me there's not much more because I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Oh, um, bad, bad face. <laughs> There's a lot more. Martin Bryant, Martin Bryant then got back into his car and left the car park. Witnesses said he was sounding the horn and waving as he drove past. Martin Bryant then drove along Jetty Road towards the toll booth where a number of people were running away. Bryant passed at least two people. Oh, no. Ahead of him was Nanette Macaque and her children, Madeline, who was three, and Alana, who was six. Nanette was carrying Madeline and Alana was running slightly ahead. By this point, they had run approximately 600 metres from the car park. Bryant opened his door and slowed down. Macaque moved towards the car, thinking that he was offering them help in escaping. Several more people witnessed this from further down the road. Someone recognised him as the gunman and yelled out, it's him. Bryant stepped out of the car, put his hands on Nanette Macaque's shoulder and told her to get on her knees. She did so saying, please don't hurt my babies. Bryant shot her in the temple, killing her. Next, he shot at Madeline, which hit her in the shoulder, and then he shot her fatally in the chest. <laughs> Brian shot at Alana, and she ran behind a tree. He then walked up and pressed the barrel of the gun into her cheek and fired and killed her instantly. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Mun Bryant fired at some people that were hiding in a bush but missed them. Having seen the murders of the children, some people further up the road began running. They told drivers of cars coming down the road to go back. The people that thought Martin Bryant would head up the road, so uh, the people thought Martin Bryant might head up the road, so instead they proceeded on foot down the dirt side road and hid in the bush. The cars reversed up the road to the toll booth. Bryant drove up to the toll booth where there were several vehicles and a blocked and blocked a 1980 BMW owned by Mary Rose Nixon. Inside were Nixon, uh, driver Russell James Pollard and passengers Hel Hel uh, Helene and Robert Graham Solzman. An argument with Robert Solzman ensued and Bryant took out his rifle and shot Solzman at point-blank range, killing him. Pollard emerged from the BMW and walked towards Bryant, who was, shot, who was then shot in the chest 
and was killed. More cars then arrived, but seeing this, the drivers were quickly able to reverse back up the road. Bryant then moved to the BMW and pulled Nixon and Helene Salzman from the car and shot them dead, dragging their bodies onto the road. Bryant transferred ammunition, handcuffs, the AR-15 rifle and a fuel container to the BMW. Mary Nixon, Russell Pollard, Helene Salzman and Robert Salzman are the people Bryant was charged with killing at the toll booth. Another car then came towards the toll booth and Bryant shot at it. The driver, Graham Sutherland, was hit with glass. A second bullet hit the driver's door. Sutherland quickly reversed back up the road and left. Bryant then got into the BMW, leaving his Volvo, um, including his shotgun and and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. So at this point, Martin Bryant has killed 33 people and injured 19. Graham Sutherland, who had just been shot at in his car, reversed back up the road and drove to the service station close by where he tried to inform people what was happening. Martin Bryant drove up to the service station and cut off a white Toyota Corolla that was attempting to exit onto the highway. Glenn Pierce was driving with his girlfriend Zoe Hall in the passenger seat. Bryant then quickly exited the car with his rifle in hand and tried to pull Hall from the car. Pierce got out of the car and approached Bryant. Bryant pointed the garden, the, the gun at Glenn Pierce and pushed him backwards, eventually directing him into the now open boot of the BMW, locking Pierce inside of it. What Bryant the then fuck? moved back to the pack- passenger side of the Corolla as Zoe Hall attempted to climb over to the driver's seat. Bryant raised his rifle and fired three shots, killing her. Many people around the service station witnessed this and ran to hide in nearby bushland. The service station attendant told everyone to lie down and he locked the main doors. He grabbed his rifle, but by the time he could retrieve some ammunition and load his gun, Martin Bryant had left in the BMW. A police officer arrived several minutes later and then set out in pursuit of Martin Bryant. Zoe Hall was the 34th victim killed. As Martin Bryant drove down towards Seascape, he shot at a red Ford Falcon coming the other way, smashing its front windscreen. Upon arriving at Seascape, he got out of the car, a Holden Frontera four-wheel drive, then approached Seascape, Seascape along the road. Those in the vehicle saw Bryant with his gun, believe, but believed him to be rabbit hunting and actually slowed down as they passed him. Bryant fired into the car. The first bullet hit the bonnet and broke the throttle cable. He fired at least twice more into the car as it passed, breaking the windows. One of the bullets hit the driver, Linda White, in the arm. The car was going downhill, so it was able to roll down the road out of sight and around the corner despite its broken throttle cable. White swapped seats with her boyfriend, Michael Wanders, who attempted to drive the car but was unable to because of the broken throttle cable. Another vehicle then drove down the road carrying four people. It was not until they were almost adjacent to Bryant that they realised he was carrying a gun. Bryant shot at the car, smashing the windscreen. Douglas Horner was wounded by the pieces of the windscreen. The uh, the car proceeded ahead where White and Wanders tried to get in, but Horner didn't realise the situation and drove on. When they saw that White had been shot, they came back and picked them up. Both parties then continued down to a local establishment called the Fox and Hound where they called police. Yet another car drove past and Bryant shot at it, hitting the, pas- the passenger Susan Williams in the hand. The driver, Simon Williams, was struck by fragments. The driver of another approaching vehicle saw this and reversed back up the road. Bryant also fired at this car, hitting it, but not injuring anyone. Bryant then got back into the BMW and drove down the Seascape driveway to the house where the Martins, his first victims, lay dead. Sometime after he stopped, Bryant removed Pierce from the boot and handcuffed him to a stair rail within the house. At some point, he also set the BMW on fire. He is believed to have arrived back at the house at around 2 p.m. 
sorry, went out the 29th of April 1996, so the next day. Bryant was captured the following morning when a fire started in the guest house, presumably set by Bryant. Bryant taunted the police to come and get him, but the police, believing the hostages were already dead, decided that the fire would eventually bring Bryant out. Bryant eventually ran out of the house with his clothes on fire, suffering burns to his back and bum. He was arrested and taken to hospital for treatment. What's the point? It was discovered that Glenn Pierce had been shot during or before the standoff and had died before the fire. The remains of the Martins were also found. It was determined that they had been shot and that Nolene Martin had suffered blunt force trauma. They both died before the fire. Witnesses, witness accounts of the gunfire as presented to the Supreme Court of Tasmania placed the time of death of David and Nolene Martin as a, at approximately noon on the 28th of April, so the day before. One weapon was found burnt, burnt in the house and the other on the roof of the adjacent building where police believed they had seen Martin the night before. Both weapons had suffered from massive chamber blast pressure, possibly from the heat of the house fire. The Port Arthur tourist site reopened a few weeks later and since then a new restaurant has been built. The former Broad Arrow Cafe structure is now a place for quiet reflection with a monument and a memorial garden dedicated to the site in April 2000. The Australian Journal of Emergency Management published several research articles on the response and the ongoing process of recovery including an article about caring for the social workers, which was working with residents. A substantial community fund was given to the victims of the Port Arthur massacre. The murder of Nanette McCack and her daughters, Alana and Madeline, inspired Dr. Phil West of Melbourne, who had two girls similar in age to the murdered children, to set up a foundation in their memory. The Alana and Madeline Foundation supports child victims of violence and runs a national anti-bullying program. It was launched by the Prime Minister on the first anniversary of the massacre. The massacre at Port Arthur created a kinship uh, with the Scottish town of Dunblane, which had suffered a similar event, the Dunblane school massacre, only weeks previously. And a lot of people think that... um, He was, like, inspired by it. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul Mullen, a forensic psychiatrist, his extensive involvement following the string of massacres in Australia and New Zealand attributes both the Port Arthur, Port Arthur Massacre and some of the earlier massacres to a, the copycat effect. In this, theory, in this theory, the saturation of media courage provides both instruction and perverse incentives for dysfunctional individuals to imitate previous crimes, which I think is... Possible. The coverage of Dunblane, the Dunblane Massacre, basically um, caught the attention of Martin Bryant and is thought to have been the trigger. Right. <sighs> okay. Following Port Arthur... Uh, The Prime Minister at the time, his name was John Howard, uh, led the development of the strict gun control laws within Australia and formulated the National Firearms Program Implementation Act of 1996, which basically restricted the private ownership of semi-automatic rifles, semi-automatic shotguns and pump-action shotguns, um, as well as introducing firearm licences. It was implemented with the bipartisan support by the Commonwealth, states and territories, (sighs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so sorry. We're struggling. Um, We're on Sugar Street. So as well as them developing... um, Okay, so um, the federal government coordination with all of the states and territories of Australia restricted legal ownership and the use of self-loading rifles, self-loading shotguns and tightened controls. 
The government also initiated a mandatory buyback scheme with the owners paid according to the, va- the table of valuations. Some 643,000 firearms were handed in at a cost of $350 million, which was funded by a temporary increase in the Medicare levy, which was raised by, raised to, a, to $500 million. Mm. Um, media activists, politicians, and some family members of victims, notably Walter McCacke, who had lost his wife and two children, spoke out in favour of the changes. A lot of discussion has occurred into the level of Martin Bryant's general health. Of course, he had a low IQ. Um, and at the time, the offences... Uh, so sorry, I can't read my writing. No, never mind. Uh, okay. Um, so, basically, Martin Bryant... Mm. Ooh, hello. Someone messaged me probably to be like, are you crying? <laughs> I feel like you're crying. Um, it's generally accepted that he had a subnormal IQ and at the time of the offences was in receipt of a disability support pension on the basis of being mentally handicapped the media also detailed his odd behavior as a child however he was able to drive a car and obtain a gun which is fucked very fucked even though he didn't have a gun license or a driver's license which is cooked so um martin at 28 pleaded guilty to have carried out the shootings and was given 35 life sentences without the possibility of parole and as of 2015, and as of now, he is at Risden Prison. Good. Hopefully having a very bad time. Um, so, obviously he was burnt after the um, burning at Seascape and he was held at the Royal Albert Hospital under heavy police guard. Mm-hmm. Um, police, according to the, a police officer that was tasked with guarding him, at least two would-be vigilantes made unsuccessful applications to hospital security staff in order to exact revenge. In his police interview, Bryant admitted to having carjacked the BMW but claimed it only had three occupants and denied shooting any person. He also claimed that he did not take the BMW from the vicinity of the toll booth and that his hostage was taken from the BMW. He said he thought the man he took hostage must have died in the boot when the car exploded. He did not distinguish between the car fire and the house fire that happened later. So initially, Martin Bryant pled not guilty to the 35 murders and did not provide a confession. However, he changed his plea for the court hearing on the 19th of November 1996. Um, And then he was found guilty. So he changed his plea to guilty, basically, and he was found guilty of all charges. And I think the thing that, like, sets off a lot of uh, conspiracy theories on this case is that all of the evidence for this case is actually sealed. That's interesting. So, um, it's not yeah. it's not uncommon in Australia though. We don't yeah, we, we don't automatically release all of our, you know, trial transcripts and things like that, especially yeah. if there are children involved. Yeah. Um so on the 22nd of November 1996, Martin Bryant was sentenced to 35 life sentences as I've said before. Um, for each count of murder and sentenced to 25 years for the remaining 36 charges on the five other offences, 20 attempted murders, three counts of infliction of grievous bodily harm, the infliction of wounds upon a further eight persons, four counts of aggravated assault and one count of unlawfully setting fire to property. All sentences are to be served concurrently in Hobart's Risden Prison where he remains in solitary confinement and is not permitted any visitors other than his immediate family and the only person that goes and visits him is his mother. His prison papers indicate that he's never to be released and continues to serve his term. This is actually quite rare in Australia where the majority of murder sentences allow for parole. The possibibility, possibility of, parole. of parole after a long prison term. 
So, yeah, the records are sealed on uh, Port Arthur. And the thing that's really fucked is the amount of conspiracy theories that there are about Port Arthur that basically previous to Port Arthur, Australia was... Um, our government was trying to rest- like make heavier restrictions on gun laws and mm. some people like to think that... It was orchestrated they, so that the government would have an excuse. It was orchestrated so that they... Yeah. Why is like and the I Venn diagram of like... fucking insult to the victims, to the eyewitnesses, to the families that saw him there that day yeah. and know that it was Martin Bryant and to say that he didn't do it. Because uh, every, like, his mother has even come out recently... And said, "No, he didn't do it. There's no, there's no, there's no evidence of him being a Port Arthur. There is evidence. It's just sealed. Also, like, you know, eyewitness, eyewitnesses saw him do it. Evidence. Yeah. The police who saw him run out of a Pauline burning Hansen building on fire. Pauline Hanson has even recently come out and said something about Port Arthur. Even yeah. though she has no. F- oh, she's. Yeah, she said that when when One Nation, which is like our incredibly incredibly racist." political party here in Australia because you got to have one they were busted for from um saying that they were going to receive donations from the NRA so the American like mm. National Rifle Associations and they were filmed undercover by a reporter and she said that 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 there was evidence to say that Port Arthur was a setup which is just like in in a in a lifetime of saying incredibly racist incredibly stupid incredibly offensive incredibly idiotic things that's like top shelf yeah yeah so he did it there's Um, no question that he did it i don't understand why there is such a crossover of like gun nuts and conspiracy theorists i don't understand why people quite rationally wanting to limit another person's ability to kill somebody is considered to be like insane i don't understand why it has to be conspiracy to not want people to be able to murder other people I've never understood that point of view. And I I also don't understand how gun conspiracy people, you know, they say Sandy Hook's a conspiracy. They say Parkland shooting is a conspiracy. How can they all be conspiracies? None of them are conspiracies. Yeah, so uh, Port Arthur is one of the biggest mass shootings that's ever happened up until, I think, Sandy Hook. Mm. Um, And I think, obviously, our government works a lot differently than... The American government because they have this like the Senate is a lot more you know because our public the, officials by and large aren't being bribed by the NRA yeah and you know at the very least there should be mandatory checks mental health checks on people that wanting that are wanting to buy guns I just think that's common sense I just think that You know, I know we have a lot of listeners from America and I know they have a lot of different opinions about gun ownership and stuff like that, but I just don't think a human being should be allowed to have a weapon that can kill another human being. I don't think a three-year-old and a six-year-old's life is worth more than your right to have a gun. Yeah, exactly. So I am very, very anti-gun ownership. I don't care what your reasons are. Oh, I have to shoot rabbits because they come into my farm. Okay, maybe. Like maybe I will give you a pass for that, but you don't need a you don't need an AR. Nobody needs for that. nobody needs a weapon that can kill. Nobody 30 needs people in military grade seconds. weapons. No. <sighs> um. So this episode was one of the worst episodes in terms of sadness levels. Great in terms um, of like just, research, but I have never felt so dead inside. So um, I got a lot of uh, the timeline was from Wikipedia. 
like thank you so much. <laughs> Shout out um, to Wikipedia. <laughs> Sponsor Murder us. with Friends, which was a great um, like just a you know it was re- it was really great to watch and get some opinion, especially from an American like point, point of, of view. view on the Port Arthur massacre. Um, yeah, horrific, 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 and I just think. They mentioned this in Murder with Friends and it, I've never really thought about it like this. Like how insulting to the people that were there mm. and the people that saw him to say that he didn't do it. Yeah, so insulting. And I think like, that too I about think, Sandy Hook. I don't think you're going to forget the guy that was pointing a gun around. No, no. Um, yeah, absolutely horrific. Um, I One of the worst things I will ever read about ever yeah. and I never wish to discuss I this ever again. I didn't know like 95% of what you spoke about. I mean, I think in Australia, like we do hear about the Port Arthur Massacre like growing up and I've been to Port Arthur and I've been to the monument that they have there. And I mean, I was 15 and not necessarily the most woke, but I was like, oh, sad, a bunch of people died and didn't really know much more about it beyond that. And I am sad I guess that it has taken me so long to know all of I'd never understood his motivations or anything about his life I just knew that he was Um, the guy that caused gun control to happen in Australia so I just also want to point out so yeah the oldest people that were killed in Port Arthur were 72 the youngest was three that's insane there are three columns of names Winifred Joyce Applin Walter John Bennett I'm going to name them because Nicole Louise Burgess Sue Leng Chung Elva Rhonda Gaylord, Zoe Ann Hall, Elizabeth Jane Howard, Mary Elizabeth Howard, Mervyn John Howard, Ronald Noel Jarry, Tony Crick Kiston, Leslie Dennis Lever, Sarah Kate Lawton, David Martin, Nolene jo- Joyce Martin, Pauline Masters, Alana Louise McCacke, Madeline Grace McCacke, Nanette Patricia McCacke, Andrew Bruce Mills, Peter Brenton Nash, Gwenda Joan Neander, William Zeng. William Zeng, Anthony Nightingale, Mary Rose Nixon, Glenn Roy Piers, Russell James Pollard, Janet Kathleen Quinn, Helene Maria Salzman, Robert Graham Salzman, Kate Elizabeth Scott, Kevin Vincent Sharp, Raymond John Sharp, Royce William Tom- Thompson, and Jason Bernard Winter. Those are their names. Like, those are the fatalities of Port Arthur. Like, that is the most ridiculous amount of That's insane. names I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's something that we have to keep um, in mind during these, like, mass shooting, shootings, that it's not just a number. It's not, like, a kill count. No, it's it's individual. And it's exactly right. And it's exactly right what they said, like, the saturation of mass killings and mm. that inspiring people to do this, that we have to stop talking about these fuckwits. And I'm, I don't know, I'm really depressed now. I think that um, we can look to the recent shooting in New Zealand for some optimism in terms of coverage of these things the shooter hasn't been named in any you know mass publications um Jacinda Ardern the world's best political leader has handled it like no leader has before um and just like the upswell and community feeling and the real feeling that you know something happened like this and it'll never gonna happen again hopefully is something that the world can look at in terms of how to handle the next mass shooting that will happen in America, because it will happen, and it's probably going to happen tomorrow at this rate. Um, But, yeah, not publicising it, not glorifying it, not giving these people anything to be inspired by. I mean, so many articles, ever since, like, Columbine, so many articles and research has been done saying that mass shootings should not be sensationalised, and still, every time they happen, they are sensationalised in the media. So, 
hopefully um, with everything that's happened in New Zealand, that will be, you know, the catalyst for change. And hopefully nothing like this ever does happen again because it's happened too many times and it shouldn't. Great work, Jess. Um, We're all going to sit in a dark room for 20 minutes and cry. No, No, we're going to do more Patreon content. Yay, if you want to listen to us completely soul-deadened after this episode on Patreon become a patron. Also, I need more help on cases to do in Tasmania. So if you have any Tasmanian cases, mur- uh, murder us. <laughs> Email us at murderinthelandofoz at gmail.com. You can murder us um, too. You can find, us on, find, find us on Instagram at murderinthelandofoz. Find us on Facebook at murderinthelandofoz. Uh, rate and review. Tell me how shit I am. I don't care. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, goodbye. It's Julie and KB from Elvis Lives, a conspiracy theory podcast. What do we talk about, Julie? Conspiracies. No way. What kind do we talk about? Celebrities. Mm, government. Time travel. Ooh. Tune in every Monday. What day? Monday. What was it? Monday. Oh, Monday. Monday for your fill of conspiracy theories. SuperValue now have more online slots than ever before. Shop now at supervalue.ie. Collect your weekly shop with our contactless collection service. At SuperValue, we're there for you. Surprising them with a happy meal is back. Thanks, Mommy. Check online to see how you can enjoy your favourites. From 11am. Visit mcdonalds.ie for latest restaurant information. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.